You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. As of today, many of those phone line repair vans you see on the streets of your neighborhood are about to get quite a bit greener as part of a major commitment announced by AT&T. To get more details, GreenBiz.com's executive editor, Joel McCower, spoke about the project with Jerome Weber, AT&T's vice president of fleet operations, and Beth Shiriyoshi, the company's executive director of citizenship and sustainability. Jerome, why don't you start with uh, giving just the basics of, of what AT&T has just announced. So AT&T has uh, just announced a major commitment to deploying alternative fuel vehicles. And that commitment uh, is a $565 million commitment over the next 10 years to deploy more than 15,000 alternative fuel vehicles consisting of compressed natural gas as well as electric hybrids uh, within its fleet um, again, over the next 10 years. So it uh, breaks down to about 8,000 compressed national, natural gas vehicles and and uh, about 7,100 7, yeah. on the, uh, on the um, passenger vehicles for electric hybrids. And these are going to be used by your sales team and your – for what, what purposes exactly? On the passenger car commitment, and again, the passenger car commitment basically – is involving uh, a little bit more than 7,000 passenger vehicles over the next 10 years. And that means as we retire passenger vehicles, we will no longer be replacing them uh, with a conventional gasoline version. We'll be buying and replacing them with an alternative fuel mm-hmm. uh, replacement vehicle. Those passenger vehicles are used in our, in, uh, throughout AT&T um, across, all of, uh, across all of the nation for our sales, marketing, public affairs, as well as our supervisors who keep our uh, uh, telecommunications network intact, as well as in a lot of other uh, supervision and supervisory roles. And the 8,000 CNG vehicles are more uh, vans? And the 8,000 CNG vehicles, yeah, they're, they're, those vehicles are focused towards our uh, uh, network operations organization that's responsible for the installation and maintenance uh, of our of the of of network from a wireless standpoint and also a wireline perspective. Mm-hmm. And what led up to this? Why did you decide of all the commitments that you could be making to go with this one? So what led up to this is if you if if I can take a moment and just kind of go back for a moment, I'll start with uh, back in 2007. Uh, we developed a long-term business plan that looked at what should we be doing in the alternative fuel space. And as a result of that business plan, we launched a pilot project in, in, uh, early two, in, in, in the 2008 timeframe, which deployed uh, a little more than um, uh, 100 electric hybrid and CNG vehicles, uh, more specifically 105. Positive results from that pilot were confirmed uh, later in the year. Uh, so with the early results coming back so favorable, we felt confident that we could substantially increase the number of alternative fuel vehicles in our fleet. So before the end of the year, we were asked for a recommendation by our senior leadership uh, relative to expanding uh, uh, the the project beyond 105, and, oh, boy, we definitely expanded it much beyond 105. Bottom line, this is all about a long-term commitment 
and a long-term strategy for us to um, reduce our dependence on uh, foreign oil, uh, to uh, get behind sustainability and uh, move at it with a pretty good pace. And we also hope by doing this that we will signal demand and convey to the U.S. automakers that there is a market for more fuel-efficient work vehicles. So why is that something that AT&T wants to take on specifically? What specific? That, I'm sorry, the, the signaling of demand. Oh, the signal of demand, yes. Uh, so from a, from a couple of perspectives, uh, you know, the country hears a lot about alternative fuel vehicles and hybrids and those types of things. Uh, we have uh, one of the um, one of the largest fleets in the nation, not the largest, but one of the largest. And for a good segment of my fleet, which consists of a little shy of uh, uh, 89,000 vehicles, for a good segment of that fleet, there is no alternative fuel solutions for a lot of the work vehicles. And so with that, we wanted to make sure that we are moving down a path and signaling to the market and to the industry that AT&T is serious about uh, looking for more fuel-efficient work vehicles, and this announcement solidifies that. How hard was this to do in terms of getting the vendors that you've used to create the product that you needed? You know, believe it or not, uh, I'll speak to this in two different fashions. There are, there are those vendors that, that uh, truly weren't early adopters and did not believe they should be going down. Their business plan did not call for them to go down such a path when you're not talking about a passenger vehicle and you're talking about a work utility vehicle. But the ones that we did find that were interested in moving down this path, they embraced it, and we were certainly a welcome partner uh, into this collaboration of moving and pushing the envelope as, as to uh, the development of alternative fuel choices for our fleet. What did you learn from this now that, that other companies that are thinking of doing something similar would benefit from? Well, I'll tell you what, there's, a, there's, a, there's one thing that I'll start with, and um, I'll start there and then I'll finish on the other uh, more of the industry. The employee base, one of the things that I think we underestimated is that how visible of, uh, of a sign this would be to our employee base. Our employees are just enthusiastic about AT&T stepping up and being a leader in this particular space around sustainability and trying to do something to reduce our dependency on foreign oil. Uh, so I, I will tell you, from just not anticipating uh, the thumbs up and the welcome and the enthusiasm that we received from our employee body was uh, definitely something that we had not anticipated. And that's all good. From there has been several other great ideas probably that's been shared with us on other ways that we can, uh, you know, bring a better situation to this whole sustainability opportunity. So just better ideas that are being generated from the employee body. Um, the other thing that I, that I will say is that companies need to do their homework. Uh, there's no silver bullet. AT&T has not landed on a single alternative fuel uh, technology uh, to say that it's going to be only compressed natural gas or only electric hybrids. Uh, we are looking and will continue to evaluate alternative fuel technology as it evolves itself and makes itself available in the marketplace and see what's right for AT&T. And uh, we'll definitely take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves. 
Beth Shiroishi, you uh, have been you're looking at the larger arena of of AT&T's corporate citizenship and sustainability. AT&T uh, was involved with a lot of activities earlier, uh, a decade or so ago, and pioneering work on industrial ecology, and then sort of got quiet on this front. Does this initiative signal uh, a new commitment or a new visibility that AT&T plans to have on um, sort of green economy issues? Yeah, you know, I think I would I would start with saying we, we spent a fair amount of time merging, <laughs> clearly, over the last couple of years. And so at the close of the Bell-South Singular merger, which was at the end of the, that, we really still had almost four different operating companies with different programs, operations, even different cultures. Um, so really at that point, we took a look across all the operations and said, you know, what are the best practices? What do we want to be um, from just a holistic standpoint? And a lot of good work had continued throughout those mergers, but really looking operationally across the board, we took a couple of steps to really manage that, um, including elevating citizenship and sustainability to the board of directors. We created an officer-level steering committee to help manage throughout the company. And then we really put in place kind of an expert team structure to look at all the issues and integrate that into our business. So I'd say that our commitment in the, the space is absolutely real, um, and that's to our communities, to our employees, and to the environment. But we do know that it's a journey, and we have a ways to go. We recognize that, but we're absolutely committed in this space. I think that the uh, merger question is an interesting one of how you take three or four or some number of companies, and you know, each with their own environmental programs or lack thereof, and try to integrate them. I, mean, I think there's probably a lot of lessons learned there, I would imagine. Yeah, there absolutely are lessons learned. I think that, you know, Jerome hit on something earlier, which is critical, which is, you know, one of the things that that keeps us going is it is really all about the employees. Um, And the employees drive a lot of the a lot of the ideas that we have, and they certainly are the ones that make this happen. And so part of what we've tried to do is absolutely put in place a holistic operational structure to support, but then really, again, integrate that into the business and make it part of how we how we think and how we make decisions. So a lot of what you've been doing, you've been doing internally, things that uh, operationally that, that would engage and maybe even delight the employees, but aren't necessarily things that we'd see publicly or that you'd be talking about. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's true. And also, you know, we are, as we talk externally, um, we do try to talk about what it is we're actually doing um, and really bringing to light the initiatives um, that are out there. And so I I like to say that we have a history of this space for 100 years, but in a lot of ways we're like a brand-new company. Um, and so it, it is kind of the best of having the history of the labs and what they bring to innovation and technology, um, as well as you mentioned industrial ecology and all the good work that was started and continues there through those programs definitely throughout the internal, but then also there is the external communication. Mm-hmm. But again, emphasizing we know there's still much, much more to do. Jerome, you talked about um, the employees were coming with their own ideas here. Uh, can you give me any, any examples of some of the, the things that they brought that you might not have been thinking about? Yeah, there was uh, just some opportunities to um, look at different things like uh, biofuel. I mean, some you know, there's, there's some things under the biofuel umbrella we really had not thought about in our overall strategy, but there's an opportunity to look at that. Matter of fact, there's one uh, employee here at AT&T that, uh, you know, uh, uh, makes her own biofuel. Just finding out and understanding 
the other opportunities that people would lift up as things are, have, have you guys tried this, are you trying that? And then some of it really came back to some very basic uh, building blocks. You know, um, you know, one employee lifted up, you know, I don't think we can go out and green our whole fleet at one time, and if we can't do that, what other things can we be doing internal of AT&T to help you know, lessen our dependence on foreign oil and also drive productivity and efficiency to the, to the bottom line. And we thought about that, and that caused us to send out communication throughout the company that talked about here are some things you can do today. Today meaning proper inflation of tires, uh, making the, uh, the vehicles lighter, don't carry more test equipment than you should be carrying, and a host of different things. But I am, uh, I'm just elated uh, by the employee enthusiasm that has helped spur some pretty good ideas. Mm-hmm. Does this all have a bottom line rationale that you, you see over time that you're going to be uh, having a significant savings or at least some kind of positive bottom line outcome of this? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll answer that question by saying uh, definitely yes. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we certainly uh, need to make sure that different things are going to occur from the deployments that we make. So we have to be looking at that. But let me just give you one little tidbit on that. Uh, you know, with 89,000 vehicles, you know, at, at the pump, uh, I think we purchase somewhere between two to $300 million worth of uh, fuel every year for those vehicles, and uh, we consume about 80 million gallons. And I'm here to tell you, when the, when the price of the pump goes up one cent, it drives a whole lot of expense right to our bottom line. So having compressed natural gas vehicles out in your fleet that basically are typically somewhere around 35% to 40% uh, lower cost at the pump than retail gasoline is significant. Uh, you know, it's a significant opportunity. Having a hybrid, uh, a fleet of hybrid vehicles that typically gives you somewhere between 40, uh, 30 to 40% uh, fuel economy, MPG improvement, goes a long way in impacting your bottom line. So I'll end where I started, and the answer to that is yes, we see this as being positive. Great. Well, I think that's also a good place to stop. Uh, it sounds like you've you know, created an initiative that uh, has a positive financial outcome and uh, a positive environmental outcome and one that's uh, inspiring your employees in some good ways, and I think that's uh, the great way to uh, do any environmental initiative. Thank you very much both for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.